It's an honor to be in the house of God. And it's such an honor to be the pastor of you, the greatest people in all God's world. I love you with all my heart. Turn your Bible, please, to Jeremiah chapter 8 and Revelation chapter 14. Revelation chapter 14 and Jeremiah chapter 8. May we pray together. Our Father, we thank you for the privilege of coming to the house of God this morning. We ask that the Holy Spirit would do his work of conviction, draw our hearts close to you, cleanse us from every known sin. And may we be filled with the, the love of Christ as manifest and ministered by the Holy Spirit. Touch those who are without Christ, who are on their way to the abyss of hell. And may they be drawn to Christ. In Jesus' name, amen. Jeremiah preached 40 years and there was no convert. There was no repentance. And at the end of a ministry that was filled with heartbreaks, disappointments, discouragements, friends turning against him or ignoring him, he cried out, the harvest is past. The summer is ended and we're not saved. And a similar passage in Revelation chapter 14, beginning in verse 14. And I looked and behold a white cloud and upon the cloud one sat like the son of man, having on his head a golden crown and in his hand a sharp sickle. And another angel came out of the temple crying with a loud voice to him that sat on the cloud, thrust in thy sickle and reap for the time has come for thee to reap for the harvest of the earth is ripe. We have designated October as harvest month. God has graciously given us four seasons in, in the weather as well as in our lives. The autumn, the winter, the spring, and the summer. Often the passing of one is hardly noticeable. There came a time in September, I believe it was the 22nd or 23rd, when the sun passed the fall equinox in the summer of 1996 became history. Not much difference. Trees still on the leaves, leaves there. Some flowers are still blooming. We're still having daylight saving time. The weather is still somewhat warm. From everything obvious, there will be no difference. Summer will still be here and yet we're in the autumn of life, we're in the fall. And the seasons of life are like that. So many times the season passes from spring to summer or summer to fall or fall to winter. And you can't tell a definite day when it all happens. And so is the opportune time of life. The scientists say that when the sun passes the equinox, it is irreversible. And regardless of what the weather feels like, the fall is here. 
And God deals with us the same way. The ending of summer is sad. Warm, sunny days will grow fewer to be replaced by cold and snowy days. Family reunions will cease. Outdoor summer sports will be gone. Cold weather is hard on some sick folks. Some who have been here all through our lifetime will not be here when spring comes again. Well, the end of summer I think of in another way. When I think of that prophet crying out after all of his work and all of his ministry and all of his labor, all of his love, and all of the preaching, the summer is ended. The harvest is gone and we're not saved. 2,000 years ago, Jesus declared the harvest season in session. He had been ministering to the woman at the well. She had come and he asked her for a drink of water and she said, how is it that you being a Jew ask a drink of water of me? I'm a Samaritan. And Jesus said, if you knew who it was that asked you a drink of water, you would ask of him and he'd give you water that would th satisfy you. You'd never thirst again. And that got her attention. Never thirst again? No, never thirst again. And then Jesus began to talk to her about her personal need. He said, uh, you've had five husbands. The one you're living with right now isn't your husband. You've tried all these things, they don't satisfy. I have something that will satisfy you. She was amazed and she tried to change the subject about religion. Why she said, you Jews say we should worship down at Jerusalem. We Samaritans believe you ought to worship up here at Mount Gerizim. And the Lord said, the time is coming when you'll neither worship at Jerusalem or Mount Gerizim. For they who worship God must worship him in spirit and in truth. And she left her water pots and went into the city to find those men with whom she had sinned. And she said to them, come see a man that told me everything I ever did. Her heart was changed. And the scripture record says that from that time on, many of those people in Sychar believed because of the woman, but many others came out and saw Jesus himself and believed because they met Jesus. God has given us opportune times in life. The opportune time for that woman came and praise God, she received Christ as her savior. There came a revival in Sychar and sometimes later after the Lord had gone back to the glory, the Bible says that Philip went down to Samaria and took up where Jesus had left off and there was a great revival and there was great joy in that city. I think of another man who had great riches and he came to running to Jesus and said, good master, what must I do to inherit eternal life? And the Lord said, you know the commandments. Uh, he said, which commandments? Thou shalt not kill, thou shalt not commit adultery, thou shalt not steal and so on. And the man said, well, Lord, I've done all this from my youth up, what lack I yet? And Jesus said, go sell all you have. You see, he looked into that man's heart. He saw what the real problem was. It was wealth. It was like the little boy that reached down in the cookie jar and got hold of some cookies. And then he tried to get his hand out 
And he said, Mommy, I can't get my hand out. My hand's stuck. My hand's stuck. And he started to cry. She said, well, open your hand and let go of the cookies and you can get your hand out. And he did it. And the hand came out. And a lot of people get their hands so involved in the things here that they can't come to the Lord because they can't turn it all loose. And Jesus said to that man, go sell all you have, give it to the poor and come and follow me. And he went away sorrowful because he had great riches. He did not come. His opportune time had come, but he rejected it. He refused. I want to say to you, there are harvests that are passing away quickly in our lives. The harvest of youth. Wonderful, wonderful time of life. Youth is a great time. It's like the springtime of life. It's a time for physical maturing, enjoyment, pleasure, romance. Somebody said in the spring, a young man's fancy turns to what the lady's been thinking about all year. It's a time for seed sowing. It is a time so important that the Bible has much to say about youth. And you know what some young people do? They come and taste and they get a little bit involved and then they look back at the world and they begin to think like the little boy with the cookies. Look what I've given up. I have all these things that the world has to offer. I think I'll try them again and they go away. And Jeremiah cried out to those people, they, my people are bent to backsliding. There's a terrible problem in the land. Why then is this people of Jerusalem slidden back by a perpetual backsliding? They hold fast to deceit. They refuse to return. I submit to you today, the only happy way in Christ is to trust him and obey. You can't give up too much for the Lord. Give it all. Give it all. Paul warns, flee youthful lusts, 2 Timothy 2.22. In Ecclesiastes chapter 12, I think it was Solomon who wrote this. Remember now thy creator in the days of thy youth, while the evil days come not, nor the years draw nigh, when thou shalt say, I have no pleasure in them. And then in Ecclesiastes 11.9, Rejoice, O young man, in thy youth. Let thy heart cheer thee in the days of thy youth and walk in the ways of thine heart and in the sight of thine eyes. But know thou that for all these things, God will bring thee into judgment. You can go sow your wild oats. You can go have your big times. You can go do all the things that the world is doing. But there'll be a price tag on them. And sometimes the price tag is pretty big. When a man begins to understand God's direction in his life and will for his, God's will for his life, and then he goes back into the world and begins to do the things that everybody else does, God just stands back and says, all right, I'm not gonna pester you, I'm not gonna bother you. I'm not gonna do anything to try to jar you. You just go on. And it's a terrible thing when God begins to leave you alone. It's an awful thing. Judgment is predicted. Sow your wild oats, but know that thou that God will bring thee into judgment. Every gray hair, every weakened body is a silent testimony that the harvest of youth passes away. You're not going to be 
17, 18, 19, 20, 21, 22, 23, 24, 25, 13, 14, 11, 9, 8, 7, 6. You're not going to be that all your life. You're going to have to come to grips with the reality that life is real and life is earnest and the grave is not its goal. Dust thou art to dust returneth was not spoken of the soul. God has a wonderful plan for your life, a wonderful purpose for your life. But the harvest, when you can understand and yield your life and begin walking in that walk, soon passes. And the things you could have done can no longer be done. I've talked to people who were in their 50s or 60s when they felt, when they surrendered to God's call to preach. And individually, each one has told me, I believe God began that call when I was young. But either I didn't understand it or the price tag was too high and I had some other things to do and I went on and did them only to my severe regret because now there are things I can never get done. I can't undo the past. The harvest of youth passes. Secondly, the harvest when there are reapers, loved ones who seek to see you come to Christ and to see you live a Christ-filled life, that harvest will soon pass. I think of the story of Samuel and Saul. Samuel was the prophet. He was the son of promise of Hannah. And God began to reveal to him tremendous things. And one day, the people of Israel called for a king. Samuel said, it's not wise for you to have a king. God wants this to be a theocracy. They said, we want a king. The Hittites have a king. The, the Jebusites have a king. The, the Philistines have a king. All the others have a king. We want a king. We want a king. And Samuel went along with God and God said, all right, I'm going to give the people what they want. Now remember this, when you just listen to the desires of your flesh, the desires of your mind, and you say, I want that, I want that, I want that, that may not be the thing God wants for you. But there comes a time when God stands back and says, all right, go to it. And God says, Samuel, I want you to anoint him a king. That's not my will, not my plan, but you can go on and anoint them a king. And he told him exactly who to anoint, found young Saul, who stood head and shoulders above everybody else, a tremendous young man. And so God said, Samuel, you anoint him to be king. And he anointed him to be king. And Saul began as a humble man. And then he got increasingly proud and arrogant. And after a while, he and Samuel were to meet at a certain juncture and there was to be a sacrifice to the Lord and Samuel was a little bit late. Sometimes you don't understand why preachers are a little bit late. They're busy. And Samuel was busy somewhere and he was a little bit late. And Saul said, well, we just can't wait for this preacher. Let's go on and sacrifice. Let's go on and have the sacrifice. He went on and started the service, had the sacrifice. And then Samuel came. Now there's a way that seemeth right unto man, but the end thereof is the way of death. Samuel said, Saul, why did you do this? Well, I thought you wouldn't mind. We were, we were late, running late, and we just went on and did it anyway. God said, Samuel, you tell Saul I've rent the kingdom from him. Well, boy, that was hard. Saul got very upset with Samuel. And they had arguments after arguments. And finally, 
Saul said, I don't want to see you anymore. And Samuel said, all right, you will see my face again no more. Now keep in mind, the one person on earth that cared about Saul's spiritual life was Samuel. The one person. And Samuel saw Saul no more. There came a terrible day and the battle was running against Saul and the forces of Israel. And Saul tried to pray, but the prayers got as far as the clouds and came back. He didn't know how to pray, didn't know who to turn to. And finally, he sent for a woman with familiar spirits. They called her the Witch of Endor. And the Witch of Endor conjured up the voice of Saul. had died. That's a dark passage of Scripture. I don't understand all about it. But Samuel's voice said to Saul, it's going to be tough with you in battle and tomorrow you're going to be dead, you and your sons. Saul had nobody else that cared spiritually. Now you can laugh at your mother or your dad or your Sunday school teacher or you can scoff at your preacher. You can say when Thursday night comes, I'm not going to the door if somebody comes and knocks on my door. I know it's those people from over at Glendale they are just always trying to talk to you about going to church. You can do that. But there's coming a day when they'll not come anymore. Nobody's going to bother you. Nobody's going to speak to you. And the Lord stands back and says, all right, go on. The harvest, when there are special reapers that care about your spiritual life, will pass away and there'll be nobody there. Today, while it is called today, let God speak to you. Let him have his way with your life. Thirdly, the harvest of God's special dealing with a sinner, the harvest of the Holy Spirit dealing with the heart passes. Now, this is a dangerous doctrine. I don't even like it, but it's part of the Word of God. I don't mean to say I don't like part of the Word of God, but it's a very hard doctrine. The Scripture says there's coming a day when God will no longer chide in the hearts of men. God said in Genesis chapter 6, My spirit shall not always strive with the hearts of men. God gave that generation 120 years to repent, and Noah went out and preached righteousness, they would not listen. He built the boat. They would not listen. And then the rains came. And the floods came. And the boat began to go up. And Noah and all his family were in the boat. And those others who had rejected God's only remedy had came and knocked on the boat and said, let us in. But the Bible says God had shut the door. And when God shuts the door, nobody can open it. There's a time when God deals with the heart. God deals with the spirit. And it's right now. God is causing maybe a faster pulse beat, a quickened heartbeat, something inside that says, God is speaking to me. Ladies and gentlemen, when God speaks to you, listen. Hold your hand up as did Isaiah in the years gone by. Here am I, Lord. Use me, use me. 
Don't make God lasso you and bring you down and pull you out and say you have to do this. God doesn't do it that way. There are no draftees in the work of God. They're all volunteers. All volunteers. And for a person to say, well, I don't know whether I'm saved or not. I don't know whether God's speaking to me or not. I don't know whether I want to be saved. I don't know whether I want to go on and serve the Lord. I don't know what God's will for my life is. I don't know what this, I don't know that. You know what the problem is? You're trying to make God tell you all of it in advance and he doesn't do that. Just one step at a time. Yield to that one step you understand. Get involved. Go all the way. And God will bless you. This morning in this service, if God's Holy Spirit is dealing with your heart and he is urging you to come to Christ and trust Christ as your Savior, don't pass that off. Don't say, well, that's foolishness or I have some other time I can do it. While it is called today, harden not your heart. Offer your life to him the same way concerning the will of God for your life. Don't make God prove it. Don't make God draw pictures. Don't say, well, I'm just going to sit here until God shows me what he wants me to do. He'll never show you. He just shows you one step at a time. Go through that door. Don't ever say no. Get as involved as you can. Keep on keeping on. Keep on keeping on. I remember Mike Rout. He was in a revival meeting this week with Brother Chris Butler at Green Ridge. When Mike came to Western, he was not saved. He would be over in his dorm, and some of our young people would go over and talk with him, witness to him. And incidentally, young people, don't let one week pass by when you don't go over to that veritable, wonderful mission field at Western University and try to find somebody that needs Jesus. Out of 15,000 people, there are some over there that are lost, that are hungry for Christ. There are some over there that are waiting to know what God's will is. There are some who have been saved, and they're out of the fellowship of God. They're just waiting for somebody to come. Some of our guys went over and talked to him in his room and he came to church. He gave his heart to Christ. Now I want to tell you about Mike. While everybody else was out playing, Mike was in earnest in studying the Bible and being involved in everything. A lot of times during the week I'd come out in the hall and there'd be Mike. We prayed together about the girl that God wanted him to have. He asked God for a certain young lady. And we prayed together. I don't know whether his parents ever knew that or not. And we prayed her into his heart. They're happily married now. Wonderful team for God. What I'm trying to tell you is when Mike was seeking the will of God to what was to what to do, he didn't say, now, Lord, I'm going to wait till you show me whether I'm to be a missionary or a preacher or go where here, go somewhere else. What do you want me to do? He just walked in the will of God. I don't think he ever missed visitation. He never missed nursing home services. He led the nursing home services and would call other kids and urge them to come, he and Kathy together. And God used him to touch people's lives. I want to tell you, if you want to know the will of God, walk in it. Begin to walk in that part of the will of God you know right now. Don't turn to the right or the left. Just go straight on and God will bless you. But there comes a time when God won't deal with you like that anymore, he'll look, he'll take you seriously. If you say, well, I'd rather play games. I'd rather do this. I'd rather do something else. God will say, okay, just go right ahead. Go on, do it. I'll find somebody I can trust. You see, God is looking for somebody he can trust. Suppose when God said to Joseph, you take Mary 
that little thing that's conceived in her is of the Holy Ghost. Suppose Joseph would say, well, I don't believe that. That's all poppycock. That's foolish. You have to believe fairy tales to believe that. I'm not going to do that. God would have passed on until he found somebody else that would be a Joseph. Suppose Mary had been so busy with the things of the world and sucking her cigarettes and going having affairs with other kids when she was a young teenager. Suppose Mary had done that. God would have passed on and found somebody else to be the vehicle through which the Son of God could have come. I want to ask you, who is your hero? Every young person ought to say, I want to be like Mary, or I want to be like Joseph. I want God to use me. And when you do that, God will use you. He looks into the heart. There comes a time when the harvest of life itself passes. What is your life? It is even a vapor that appears for a little season then vanishes away. We have no tenure on the house in which we live. You go out to the cemetery and you measure the graves. Some of them are two feet, some of them are three feet, some of them are five feet, some of them are six or eight feet. What does that say? They're making coffins right now for little babies. They're making coffins for kids, coffins for kids. They're making coffins for teenagers. They're making coffins for young adults and old people. We don't have any tenure on this life in which we live. You do not know how long we've got. I do not know how long I've got. What we need to do is say, I want every day to count as if it were my last day. My last day. I got convicted of this, and there's nothing wrong with some, some athletics and sports and so on. Bodily exercise profiteth a little. But years ago, I used to go, I, was a, I, I played golf. I have golf clubs that I haven't used for years. I went fishing. But one of the things that I really loved to do was go out on a boat and just get out on the lake and just ride all day long. And, and not bother about schedules or anything. So years ago, when I first came to Glendale, I used to go down to Paris Landing, down in Tennessee, and would ride out on, on Kentucky Lake, Tennessee River. One Labor Day, I spent the whole day there. Enjoyed it, loved every minute of it. I got back to Bowling Green, and there was a telephone call, two men, you've been witnessing to for years went out today and their boat capsized and they're both dead will you come to their home I went over there felt terrible the next week we had their funerals I kept their cards in my Bible for years to remind me there's no time off duty we're on duty 24 hours a day, 365 days a year. We need to win people to Christ. I'm not saying there's anything wrong with going and having some relaxation time. I'm just saying even then we're not off duty. The harvest of life soon passes. People that you have wanted to see saved will suddenly be taken away. He that hardeneth his neck shall suddenly be destroyed and that without remedy. We do not know how long we have. I've told you the story before. I want to tell it to you again. It reminds me, if nobody else, of the danger of closing invitation service when there's somebody there lost. I was in a meeting at Savannah, Tennessee, First Baptist Church. 
I was there as their pastor. And one Sunday night, I preached. I don't remember what it was. But when the service was over, at the invitation, I saw the girl back here speak to the young boy, and he shook his head. She spoke again, he shook his head. I stood at the door as they went out that night, and I mentioned to the boy, I said, I noticed that you shook your head during the invitation. I felt like God was dealing with you. He said, preacher, I felt like it too, but I'll be back next Sunday. Don't bother me now. They went on out. Next day was election day in Hardin County. And that evening, he, that boy worked at a filling station. That evening, a young a lady driving from Selmer over to Savannah came up on the Tennessee River Bridge and she had a flat tire. And instead of driving on down off the bridge, she just stopped there and sent for help. And the filling station sent this young boy out there. And he stood between his truck and the car trying to get in a position where he could change the tire. And a man drunk on election day liquor came up on that, on that bridge and banged into the truck and pinned that boy between the truck and the car. In a little while, I got a call to come to the Hardin County Hospital. I went over there and stood by the stretcher. I didn't recognize the boy. I didn't know who he was. Pretty soon, this girl came in and I knew her. I recognized her. That was her boyfriend. And she leaned over sobbing and trying to hug him and trying to wake him up and called his name and urged him to, to wake up and talk to him, to her. He couldn't wake up. They put him in an ambulance and took him to Memphis. And on the way down there, his spirit went out to meet God. Don't bother me, preacher. I'll come back next Sunday. He's in eternity now. And so will some of you be if you let the opportune harvest time pass by. May we bow together in prayer. Our Father, we thank you that God has amply provided harvest times. We're in it right now. Oh God, I plead with you to touch the lives of everyone in this auditorium and within the sound of our voice. Touch the lives of young people. Those who are lost, may they turn to Christ. And those who are God's children, Lord, help them to say, Lord, here am I. I'll do whatever you want me to do with my life. Just one life. It will soon be passed. Only what's done for Christ will last. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Let's stand, please. Turn to page 300. I have a Savior. He's pleading in glory. A dear loving Savior, though earth's friends be few. The invitation is simple. If you're not a Christian, never been saved, I ask you to come to Christ today. If you're not sure how to do it, just come. We'll talk with you and pray with you and show you from the Bible how to be saved. If God has been dealing with you about His will for your life, would you just make an unconditional surrender? When we went into the last part of World War II, Franklin Roosevelt and Winston Churchill and Chiang Kai-shek met in a great conference. And out of that conference came the term unconditional surrender. What they meant was Japan and Germany would have to surrender unconditionally. No conditions, just a surrender. 
And that's what God requires. God doesn't say, wait, wait for us to say, well, now, Lord, if you'll show me, I'll do it. Or if you blah, blah, blah. He just says, put your life on the line for me. I'll use you. Don't make me show you about the future. I'll just use you day by day. Do what God tells you to do while we begin to sing. Who will take a stand for the King this morning?